Today's podcast is brought to you by 13 Star Designs. 13 Star Designs is a unique vinyl and embroidery shop featuring seasonal designs, spooky gifts, and of course, their signature item, the world-famous dick mark. The first ever penis-shaped bookmark. They sell wreaths and blankets and towels and all sorts of cool and weird stuff. Even bookmarks shaped like bookmarks, if you can even imagine. Check them out at facebook.com slash 13stardesigns and find something perfectly strange for that strangely perfect person in your life. That's facebook.com slash 13, all spelled out, star designs. I'm Josh. I am Alyssa. And we are back with another episode of The Podcast Was On Fire. And it wasn't my fault. We dig into the good, the great, and the problematic of the Dresden Files series by Jim Butcher. I'm an old Dresden vet. And this is my first time through. And together we dig in and chew it up and hopefully find some good little nuggets. (laughs) <laughs> How you doing today, Ice? I'm doing well. Tragically, I'm not in Kauai. <laughs> oh, brutal, brutal. For real, for real. I mean, don't get me wrong. Little autumnal uh, San Jose is lovely, but it's not Kauai. Really is. It's actually hot as crap down here. Really? Well, it's like 80 here. It feels hot, at least. I don't hot. actually know how hot it is. <laughs> My phone says it feels. it's 80, and it feels like 80 here, so... Oh, it says it's 74 outside, but the sun's out, beating oh down. Oh my goodness, 74 is not hot. I was doing work in the backyard. Oh, okay, that'll, that'll do you. I was sweating. Oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> the family coming into town, so we got to... Lo- lots to do before they uh, cruise oh, in on is Friday. Is it rodeo so. days or something? Uh, I think just fall break. Oh. Rode- rodeo's in, like, February or something. Oh, for some reason I thought it was in October. Maybe it is, I don't know. fun. I'm so jealous. All I know is I got too much shit to do. So yeah. um, today we're working on chunk number five of mm-hmm. Dead Beat. We are cruising right towards that climax. Got a lot of interesting players afoot. Yes. And without uh, objection, I will get us uh, caught up in universe and you can lead the way. Sounds like a plan, Stan. All right. So the... Macro here is Harry has been tasked with finding the word of Kemmler, which is a book on necromancy by Mavra of the Black Court. In exchange, she won't ruin Murphy. So that's why he's hustling to do this. Mm-hmm. As we get through it, there are a bunch of former apprentices to Kemmler, who is apparently the nastiest of the nasty as far as necromancers go. Now they're all racing each other to try to do it right should make them into a bit of a god. We're trying to stop that. And beyond necromancers with delusions of grandeur and the black court, Harry also is contending with a fallen angel putzing around in his head. So 
only good things are afoot here. <laughs> Some complicated stuff. And we look to bounce back and hopefully solve it all in this race against time. Mm-hmm. How's that? Sounds good. So Harry got a Chinese throwing star to the back of one of his calves, ended up at the hospital. And so he is in a little bit of pain. His brother Thomas snuck him some painkillers. So he crashed hard. He wakes up. They are at Murphy's house after his own residence was busted up by some zombies, as you do. And so I didn't do a very good job catching us up, apparently. <laughs> That's all right. We're all the power's out. I'm new at this. We're at Murphy's house and he gets out of bed and hears on the radio. Mysterious power outage continues. In fact, it's difficult to estimate how long we'll even be able to stay on the air or even how many people are actually receiving this broadcast. Gasoline powered generators have been encountering odd trouble throughout the city. Batteries seem unreliable and other gasoline powered engines, including those of vehicles, are behaving unpredictably. Telephone lines have been having all kinds of problems and cell phones seem to be all but useless. O'Hare is completely shut down and as you can imagine, it's playing havoc with airline traffic through the nation. So Chicago is in not a good place. And, you know, the local authorities are saying it's sunspots, but that answer doesn't seem to hold much water. Given that in cities as near as the south side of Joliet, all systems are behaving normally. Other sources have suggested everything from an elaborate Halloween hoax to a detonation of some kind of electromagnetic pulse device, which has disrupted the city's utilities. So nobody knows what's going on. Obviously, our witty hero has an idea that it has to do with the Dark Hollow and Kemmler's homies. So Thomas asks him, like, what's up, bro? What are you doing? And he says, I have to help. I have to do something. And he says, well, do you think you can take him? He says, no. Then what you're talking about isn't heroes a man, it's suicide. And Harry has come up with a plan. His plan is to call up the Earl King. Earl King, Earl King, whatever you want to call him. Because that way, if he has the Errol King's presence with him, then the Kemlar disciples can't call him up because he can only be in one place at a time. And Harry says, the only one who will be in danger is me. And Thomas is wrong. I'll be with you. And Harry has a moment with this. He says, I, I had been sure he would say something like that, but hearing it still felt pretty good. Thomas had a truckload of baggage and he wasn't always the most pleasant person in the world, but he was my brother, family. He'd stand with me, which made what came next hard to say. You can't. Because of Mavra? No, because I'm going to bring in the White Council. So Harry's going against pretty much everything he's been saying up to this point. You know, if he brings in the White Council, bad things happen, but he has to. He's realized that the last time the students of Kemlar, the disciples of Kemlar, whatever we want to call them, were vanquished, it took all of the warden's power. And he knows he just can't do it. So he is going to figure it out. And Thomas also mentions like, you know, bro, you don't have the book. How are you going to call him up? He's like, I'll figure that out later. <laughs> Which I love. That We love that about Harry. I'll figure that out. Bridge when we come to it. He's very much that kind of guy. So he's got this whole plan worked out. And Thomas asks him, what about Murphy? If you call in the council, Mavra will screw up her life. And I 
kind of love this moment where he says, Murphy wouldn't want me to put innocence in danger to protect her. If one of the heirs turns into some kind of dark god, people are going to die. She wouldn't forgive me for protecting her if that was the cost. So Harry's finally t- taken the uh, the hint that she doesn't want to be protective, protected rather if it's at the cost of others. And I mean, that's a, that's a big moment for our boy. Like, for real, for real. Oh, yeah. Serious progress. Serious. But, you know, he needed that. He needed to do that. Thomas mentions that if the council finds out that you're planning on using them to defeat the heirs so that you can give Kemmler's book to a vampire of the Black Court, you'll be in trouble. Not for long. The words will execute me on the spot. God. The positivity. Right? God, and you can accept that from your own people? I'm acclimated. Which really is sad. That's pretty gnarly. And so he asks if he doesn't, you know, he says, I don't have much choice. Do you? Thomas says, well, we could go to Aruba. I'm right there with you, Thomas. Let's go to Aruba. Screw real life. Okay, you won't. But a guy can hope. I just don't like the idea of sitting on the sidelines when you might need my help. Then Thomas makes a realization. Hey, doing this on purpose. You're trying to keep me out of it to protect me, you sneaky little bitch. But this is Harry. Harry is protecting people. And we learned that's what Harry does. We have learned up to this point in six novels, seven novels, whatever we're at, that Harry protects people he cares about. And then Thomas gives him a plate of pancakes and says, happy birthday. Which Harry was kind of shocked. He, he, he says, I'm surprised you remembered at all. No one has remembered my birthday since Susan left town. Which, get your shit together, Murphy. Like, come on. Right? Like, seriously. But, I, you know, I think that's kind of sweet of Thomas. And so Thomas brings up the, you know, whole power outage thing. And he says, do you think it was Gravain and Corpse Taker who did the bad with the power? And he said, they were so busy stretching themselves to keep so many undead under the control. That's why Corpse Taker went after Gravain with a sword and why he defended himself physically. Then who? Powell. He made himself scarce last night. My guess is that he was too busy setting it up to take a swing at Gravain or Corpse Taker. Why Cowl? Because this is Major Man. If you'd have asked me yesterday, I wouldn't have thought this was possible. I don't know how he did it, but his magic is stronger than mine. And from what I saw of his technique, he's a hell of a lot more skilled, too. If he's as good at thaumaturgy as he is at evocation, he's the most dangerous wizard you've ever seen. That's a little scary. I mean, we were, I mean, he was a little terrifying when we saw him and Harry had to throw a car at him, but. Which didn't even slow him down. No, didn't even slow him down. It took, like, he literally just popped it out of the way. Like, holy crap. So that says a lot about Cal. And it kind of makes you wonder who the fuck is this Cal guy? And I mean, obviously, Harry's aware of how much danger everybody is in. And Harry mentions that it is Halloween. And he's pretty sure everything's going to happen tonight because barriers between the mortal world and the spirit world are at their weakest. They'll be able to call up the most spirits to devour tonight. All the acts of black magic they've been working around town were also part of that preparation, creating spiritual turbulence 
making it easier to use larger and larger amounts of black magic. So Harry's going to contact the council, and he asks Thomas to do some research. He says, you're going to be figuring out where they can call up the most spirits. Not only that, but I'm leaving you a copy of Boney Tony's code numbers. Figure out what they mean. He says, you know, you want me to figure out the numbers too? With Butters, he can help you on both counts. He's damn smart. And so just at that moment, Butters comes in with Mouse. He had taken Mouse for a walk. And in my head, it's little man, big dog. And it just makes me giggle. Just because I feel like Mouse would be like a horse next to Butters. Because they keep talking about how little Butters is and how big Mouse is. I love this visual. And he says, look, I think you're going to be all right on your own now. If you want me to, I'll take you home after breakfast. Of course I want to go home. The Oktoberfest polka office tonight. Because of course it is. And polka never dies. <laughs> and so, Butters us do need me to do something. There's some research to be done. I totally understand if you want to get, well, get, to get while the getting's good. But if you're willing, we could use some help. And this is Butters' thing. Butters can do research. Harry constantly goes to him for research. This is right in his wheelhouse. And it's not just a made-up task that Harry needs done. It's something that he actually needs help with. And so Butters asks, is this going to get me killed? (laughs) Which is a valid question. A very valid question. And Harry tells him, I can't say it won't. (laughs) Butter also asks what would happen if, if he doesn't help, if we don't get this information. And Harry tells him straight out, it gets harder to stop them. And if you don't stop them, what happens? One of them gets phenomenal cosmic power and all the living space he can take. I get killed, so will a lot of innocent people. And God only knows what someone could do with power like that over the long term. This is bigger than me. It's bigger than Polka even. So I guess I'll help. So Research Butters is on board. and. So he, ha- he has him go get the backpack with Bob in it. And Thomas asks where he's going. I have to figure out how to call up the Earl King. That's why everyone wanted that book. Apparently. But you had it. You read it. Yeah, I know. But I didn't know exactly what I was looking for. Frustrating, huh? Just a bit. Too bad you don't have a photographic memory. Ding! Light bulb moment. Light bulb moment. And so we ha- know somebody who has a photographic memory. And bing, bang, boom. He he gets ready to go. Thomas tries to tell him to take Mouse, but he doesn't have enough hands for that. And the phones are, are apparently unreliable, I said. I tossed the backpack at Thomas. He caught it. Bob will know how to reach me if you find something. Got that, Bob? A muffled voice from the backpack said, How are Herr Commandant? Butters jumped halfway out of his chair and made a squeaking sound. What was that? Explain it to him. I'll be in touch as soon as I can. I love that. He's just like, "Mm, give him the rundown. We good. We good. He headed out, looked at Sheila's phone number on his hand, and went to go find someone with a photographic memory. So he goes to his office. His traffic wasn't as bad as it could have been, which makes sense. When things are weird, people generally stay home. A few years back, there was... What was it called? Carmageddon? It was supposed to be like the worst traffic ever in the history of L.A. 
and it turned out to be like actually a pleasant day for a drive just because when everyone heard it was the worst traffic ever everybody peaced out everybody just stayed home yeah <laughs> is when the part of the 405 shut down oh yeah 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 they're redoing like up towards uh past ucla they were redoing a section of the 405 and so if it's like oh my god it's gonna be so terrible shut it down everyone's gonna be you know you know, you're not, it's going to be a parking lot on every freeway. And so everyone in L.A. just stayed home. And it was actually like a very pleasant day out. Similarly, the people of Chicago don't want to fuck around with no lights and shit. So traffic's not that bad, moral of the story. And uh, he actually references L.A. not doing a good job when things get shitty. But I, I disagree, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I've, had, I've had good experiences in that city of people helping each other. But he says Chicago and New York come to come together and help each other out, which is generally what you hope people do. Mm, very much so. When when things aren't right, kind of what the whole social contract is all about. We live together, so we help each other live together. But uh, I digress. He he mentions there's kind of an innate fear. He's worried of what will happen at nightfall because there's this remind this pair section reminds me of. I'll put that in the analysis, I guess. Fear of dark, fear of the dark is also one of the great Iron Maiden songs. Mm. Fear of the dark. Check it out if you haven't. Incredible, incredible, the live. But he's worried that when it gets dark, some of the panic might actually set mm-hmm. in. You know, right now, all the stoplights are out, right? So it's going to be a problem when people can't see each other. And the road is going to be a lot more difficult to navigate. So hopefully people stay inside. But he makes it to his office relatively unscathed here. And he is obviously struggling with phones. He struggles with phones on the best of days. And right now there's a ton of magical energy floating around, including Cowell intentionally trying to shut them down. So Mm -hmm. it makes sense that he struggled. He can't get a hold of Sheila but he has some reverse phone book, which is something that I can't imagine. I have to imagine it exists online somewhere. But uh, now it does. He looks, you know, looks up her phone number and finds her address. It's so quaint. All these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is another one of those anachronism, not anachronism, but just kind of date dates itself mm-hmm. where home phone numbers. I technically have a home phone number and I pay <laughs> like twelve dollars a month for it, and it saves me money on my internet. It saves me like twenty bucks. So. It, Plus eight bucks. So I have one, but I've never once plugged in. (laughs) (laughs) He does actually get through when he tries to call a wizard, which is just kind of ironic there. And he calls into the wardens, you know, has some code phrases. And interesting that he uses code wolf. Mm. He'd mentioned in Full Moon how wolves are like one of the scariest predators historically to humans. One of the scariest animals. So the White Council being an old ass organization, it makes sense that they would have that Mm -hmm. scary monster creature from, you know, days of yore as as one of their highest, maybe the highest, certainly up there, code red kind of buzzwords. But he gets through and he's actually the captain, the leader of the wardens herself, Anastasia Lucio, answers the phone, which already sets off alarm bells right why is the boss oh 100 why is the boss sitting in the office answering phones 
but he basically gives her the rundown and says, you know, bring as all the wardens you can. And she says, we'll meet you at your place. He's like, no, 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 no. My place got <laughs> fucked. So they go to the alternate location, which turns out to be McAnally's, which is great. We haven't seen him in a bit. Love him. And um, she says she'll be there in six hours. Uh, he mentions, like, I get, you know, the same thing we did about the the boss answering the phones and, you know, wondering what's going on. Something has to be, right? But the next thing he needs to do is move on and deal with Sheila and the Earl King. So he hustles out or he gets ready to hustle out, but he ends up, sorry, as he's getting ready to hustle out, he basically yells at his leg to get it together so he can <laughs> do his job here. And then Billy comes in and spooks him a little. And again, we saw this at Box where Harry is exactly like a long tail cat in a room full of rocking chairs. So he points his staff at Billy, you know, again, like gets, gets it all powered up, which I know he has to be on his guard, mm-hmm. but he needs to do a better job being aware if he's going to react this way. Cause he pulled a gun on a strange woman, you know, a stranger woman. And now he's getting his staff ready to fire at Billy. Like he can really hurt someone. And I get his, defensiveness and need to be ready at a moment's notice you know there's lots of bad guys around but then you have to do a better job paying attention when people are coming up right like you can't do just one or the other Mm -hmm. and they have a really interesting discussion that based on their earlier conversation with bill and georgia seems a little out of place but basically harry's going off the deep end is what billy's saying and people are worried about him He's talking to himself. He's obviously very, very easily spooked. It's a, it's a tough conversation to watch because one of my favorite, you know, pairings is Billy and Dresden. Personally, uh, I wouldn't, wouldn't say either of them is one of my favorite characters, but I really do like them together and and the way they interact. Harry kind of mentoring Billy into the supernatural world, but also Billy wanting to do his own thing. Right? It's it's a really interesting dynamic, and I really like it. So this. This conversation is really hard to take because Billy's worried about Harry and Harry's mad that Billy's worried about him, basically. And at one point, Harry slams his staff on the ground and Billy flinches. Which is not good. Well, Billy is not like a guy that is scared. Mm-mm. He's he's not easily spooked. He's a badass werewolf, you know, runs the town basically around his his apartment and the school. And he is openly scared. Mm -hmm. Like this is a badass, powerful dude. Who's scared. Like that should tell you. And they're friends. Like he knows Harry's to his core and he's scared of him right now. So we've seen this, the whole, the whole novel that Harry is just a little off. And this is, again, it, it really hurts to see these, these guys in particular have this kind of tension and interaction, but Billy gives him the gun and Harry, does actually do some self-reflection after he leaves and, and wonders if he is going off the deep end. But if he's crazy, how would he know? Mm-hmm. You know he wouldn't know he's crazy. But, Which is a really good point. Of course. That's why you listen to your friends when they say you're going crazy, mm-hmm. right? But The people that know you. But he, he basically says he doesn't have time for this. He's really got shit to do. So he heads over to Sheila's and to try to see how he can do, again... Something crazy. <laughs> trap trying to trap the Earl King mm-hmm. for a night. Just to see, you know, just to see how long, you know, to basically to prevent him 
from getting the hunt going and helping the, uh, the necromancers. But it's definitely not an easy idea, and it's certainly very dangerous and a little insane. So maybe Billy's got something there. But uh, he heads down the elevator, which isn't all the power out, yes. right? Yeah. <laughs> Let's say he goes down the stairs. Oh, I and- didn't even know that i listened to it like four times and i read it twice and and he admits billy might have a point so he arrives at sheila's place sheila lives in the in the cabrini green tenement and it had seen better days but it had seen worse too so it seems like a kind of hard rough part of town and she's she lives on the ninth floor according to his reversed phone number directory he walks over to the elevators to push the button for her apartment on the ninth floor. I pressed it and held it down for a minute before I realized that, duh, the power was out. That wasn't going to be able to ring her apartment. So he looks for the stairs. The staircase is locked and he fizzores his way in. Nine floors, nine floors and 162 steps later, I paused to catch my breath and then opened the door to the ninth floor hallway in the same manner I had the one in the lobby. And as he walks to her door, he feels a, a tingling tension over the door. A magic ward of some kind. It was nowhere near as strong as the ones on my apartment had been, but it was stable. And that was fairly impressive. Sheila might not have a ton of inborn talent, but she evidently had enough discipline to offset the lack. And, you know, he's, he thinks uh, he, could, he could give it, totally get through, but it would definitely scare the hell out of a would-be burglar. After a minute, she opens the door. And he can see her eye with the security chain out the little opening. And she's surprised to see him. She opens the door and she's dressed as a genie. And he obviously checks out her tits. Um, <laughs> as Harry does. As Harry does. And she's like, oh, you just caught me. And he's like, oh, you're going out? Or he's, you're going to a costume party. She said, no, this is how I dress all the time. It is Halloween. Even with the lights out? Who knows? That might make it more fun. And so he says, I need your help with something. And so she, he asks if, it, if, he just, if she didn't mind, if they, he could come inside so they could con- converse in the apartment versus in the, him in the hallway. Behind the, behind the threshold. Behind the threshold and behind her wards. But she has to invite him in. Because if you pass the threshold without being invited, your powers are less. That one I remember. And so he's limping in and she's like, oh my God, what happened? A ghoul threw a knife at my leg. You mean a real ghoul? An actual ghoul? Wow, I've heard stories, but I never thought, you know, it's hard to believe they're really out there. Does that make me an idiot? No, it makes you lucky. If I never see another ghoul, it will be too soon. And so she sits him down. He puts his leg up. (laughs) She tells him, you look frightful. It's been a tough couple of days. And so he says he's there. He, she, he says he's there because of the Earl King book. And he and I like how we've just given up on trying to pronounce it. <laughs> yeah, Earl King, Earl King. But the thing is, is is listening to Marshers, he pronounces it different too. Earlier in the book, he was ca- calling it Earl King, and now it's just Earl King. So I'm like, you know what? If he doesn't care, I don't care. We did get a, a uh, like a phonetic walkthrough on Patreon that we appreciate. But I think awesome. For the sake of brevity and us repeating it 17 mm-hmm. times, we'll just call it the Earl King book. Earl King book. Earl King, whatever. It's a German word, right? Yeah. I mean, the, 
is his title. He's the Earl King. Yeah. It's just, it's just so, um, it, it, even in English, that's what they call him. Gotcha. Okay. So she says, what are you doing here? The book, the one on the Earl King that I got from Bach. I remember. Exactly. Um, what? That's why I'm here. You remember, but I don't. And the bad guy stole my copy. I need you to remember it for me. The whole thing? I don't think so. There were several poems and stanzas in there. I think what I need is one of them. What you need. And then Harry becomes Harry. It might be better if you don't know. And she's like, fuck you. (laughs) He says, this is bad business. It might be safer for you if I don't tell you. Well, that's quite patronizing of you, Harry. Thank you. I like her. I mean, she's probably going to (laughs) die. We're turning up vampire some shit. Uh, Anyway. (laughs) It isn't like it. Yes, it is. You want me to give you information, but you won't tell me why or what you're going to do with it. It's for your own protection. Perhaps. But if I give you this information, I'm going to bear some responsibility for what you do with it. We don't know each other very well. What if you took the information I gave you and used it to hurt someone? I won't. And maybe that's true, but maybe it isn't. Don't you see? I have an obligation in this matter to use my talent responsibly. That means not using it blindly or recklessly. Can you understand that? Actually, I can. Then if you want me to help you, tell me why you need it. You could be put at risk if you become involved in this. It could be very dangerous. I understand. I accept that, so tell me. And he tells her. And, you know, she says, but isn't he, like, an extremely powerful fairy? Can you, can they call him up? He's like, do you mean, is it possible? Sure. I whistled up Mab a few hours ago myself, which was technically the truth. Oh, she said, her tone mild. Why? I love that. Just, oh, (laughs) why? (laughs) And so... She wants to know why are they calling him up? They're going to use his presence on Halloween night to call up an extra large helping of ancient spirits. Then they're going to bind and devour those spirits in order to give themselves a Valhalla-sized portion of supernatural power. It's a rite of ascension. A real one. Yeah. But that's, that's insane. So are these people. Which is a good point. And so he says, I need the poems because I'm going to summon the Arrow King before they can do it and to make sure that I sidetrack him long enough to ruin their plans. Isn't that dangerous? Not as dangerous as doing nothing. That should be Harry's, Harry's motto. He needs it ditched on a pillow. Not as dangerous as doing nothing. Everything seems not as dangerous as doing nothing for this guy. Like, for real, for real. And so she... Begins to remember for him. And I like the description of it. Where her fingers are twitching. Because she's flipping through the pages. And I love that. Because when I'm trying to remember something in a book. I do totally flip pages with my fingers. So it's just like. Uh Been there done that girl. Been there done that. (laughs) I always joke around that. Because I have a lot of useless knowledge. And I always joke around that my brain is organized like a card catalog. And so when I'm trying to remember something. I use a visual cue of a card. Flipping through the cards in a card catalog. To try to remember something. Which is super. Is it organized by the Dewey Decimal System? It's a- alphabetical. <laughs> but no, well, it's in categories and then alphabetical within the categories. So I guess kind of it is a little bit Dewey Decimal. I just don't know the numbers system well enough. <laughs> so she starts quoting poetry. He starts writing it down. 
And by the third one, the, the, he recognizes what could be a summoning. Each line innocent on its own, but each building on the ones preceding it. With the proper focus, intent, and strength of will, the simple poem could reach out beyond the borders of the mortal world and draw the notice of the deadly fairy hunter known as the Arrow King, the Lord of Goblins. And he's like, that's the one. We need to make sure you're actually 100% correct. So he has her go through it a few times, and he confirms that it, it's right. It's the same every time. But we also learn that if you fuck up a, a summoning, the worst, the best case scenario is it doesn't work. You get nothing. The second worst is you call up the wrong person. Maybe one that would be happy to rip your face off with this tentacle-laden, extendable maw. At the extreme end of the negative consequences, the failed summons might call up the being you wanted. In this case, the Arrow King. Only it would be insulted that you hadn't bothered to get it right. Yeah, and you don't want to piss off a fairy. Uh-uh. We've already learned that you don't want to piss off a fairy. But I like that he gave us that description as to why it's so important to be all be perfect in the incantation. mentioned that before where, like, even with names, like the specific inflections mm-hmm. and the where, you know, how you say even the same. Yeah. Where every, every name has a different kind of beat, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Let's see here. And she says to him, which we all agree, you're either incredibly stupid or one of the most courageous men I've ever seen. Go with stupid. In my experience, you can't go wrong with assuming stupid. If you use the summoning and something bad happens to you, I will be to blame. No, I know what I'm doing. It will be my own damn fault. I'm not sure that your acceptance can absolve me of any responsibility. Is there anything else I can do to help? There's no need to offer. Yes, there is. I need to know that I've done whatever I can. That if something happens to you, it won't be because of something I didn't do. She is very like Harry. I really, like, all of the way she's, you know, she needs to know why. She doesn't want to be protected from this. And she needs to do something. For greater good. She's got, she's got the greater good. And so she also says, it's, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a great, come on. Uh, a friend once told me that you can tell a lot about a person from how they do things the first time. And so she kisses him. At first, the first time I went through it, I was trying to like, wait. And then he talks about standing up. I thought they were standing. And then the second time I realized, oh no, she just climbs onto his lap. (laughs) But we also get a little bit of insight into Harry's kind of psyche. Nearly everyone underestimates how powerful the touch of another person's hand can be. The need to be touched is something so primal, so fundamentally a part of our existence as human beings that its true impact upon us can be difficult to put into words. That power doesn't necessarily have anything to do with sex, either. From the time we are infants, we learn to associate the touch of the human hand with safety, with comfort, with love. And Harry says he he hasn't been touched in a long time, and, and this was just a really... It's a moment. And he also talks about how so much good sense, even basic logical, logical deduction can go right out the window, washed away in a flood of needs that simply must be met. So it's kind of the two sides where it's this, this comfort of touch, 
but that he could very easily be swept away. And so he pulls back and they have this little conversation about not one, neither of them really wanted to stop, but they both knew they needed to because they didn't know each other. They didn't know a lot of what was going on with each other. And she also says, you seem so alone. I just wanted to know what it was like, just the kiss before anything else gets involved. And they have a staff joke, but she gives him the staff. She doesn't help him up, which it's like she knows his ego. As he leaves, he says, thank you. You're a lifesaver. Probably, literally. And so he leaves. He heads into the stairwell. And going down is harder than going up on his leg. And so he sat down. So I was panting and sitting flat on my ass when the air in front of me wavered and a dark hooded figure stepped forward from out of nowhere, one hand extended, some sort of fine mesh that covered her, her outstretched palm flickering with ugly purple light. Be very still, Dresden, Kumori said, her voice soft. If you try to move, I'll kill you. So she was behind a veil, right? Yeah, okay. Absolutely. But just like with Billy, he doesn't catch it. No. He's not as perceptive as he's usually very perceptive. He is not even when he's capital L listening. Like he's very good at just paying attention to his surroundings. He's aware. Um, yeah. And it's, it stands out that he isn't doing that. So Kumori stands just far enough out of his melee range. And he realizes he's not going to beat her to the draw in a magical duel. So he's not going to hit her. And also because she's a girl. I agree you probably shouldn't hit women as a good rule. Not probably. You shouldn't. It's a good rule. But if they're sitting there holding power on you, I think that rule probably goes out the window. Call me crazy. (laughs) Perhaps. However, obviously since she hasn't, she talked to him instead of just busting out of her veil and attacking Mm -hmm. him. She's there to talk. So one more reason, right? Not to get, not to, up the stakes here and get violent. It's an interesting conversation here as they tend to be where she tells him to take off his magical accoutrement and he you know, tells her he can't cause I, my hand doesn't work. And she's genuinely curious, right? We kind of saw that the other night where she, she is not the twirling mustache villain that some of the other yeah. bad guys are in this one. She's a weird in a weird place, right? A lot more gray. She's just curious. What happened? How, how'd your hand burn? <laughs> like, why, why can't you take it off? And he tell, you know, tells her about the vampires and stuff. So they decide instead of, because he can't take off his protection, let's just have a truce till the end of the conversation and a half hour thereafter. So they have a little powwow. She, you know, she says she wants the book. He says... It's already gone. And you know, Corpse Taker took it the night before when he, they stabbed him in the leg. Going up and down so many steps with this leg. It's, it's really sucks. His poor leg. I'm just thinking I have my screwed up knee and that just sounds awful to me. And I don't even have a gaping wound. No bueno. But also he's potentially leaving blood all over the I guess it's sutured. I mean, it's sutured up and wrapped, but yeah. still. Yeah, never. Either way, they both give each other an offer that they can't but they have to refuse. You know, Cowell wants Harry out of the way. Cowell wants him out of the way, but he has a certain respect for Harry. So he doesn't necessarily 
want to kill him, which is interesting. Obviously, mm-hmm. if he gets in his way, he will, which is so altruistic of him. Harry yes. Says. You know, Harry threatens his, with his death curse, which is a great threat that he always throws out there. He has no idea really how powerful his death curse will be or like what he can do with it. But you know, it's a bit of sound, you know, negotiating tactic throughout the, this series. And it will be that he can use it. It is there. It, it, but Kumori says he's already contended with such curses. Many times I advise you to retire from the field. A couple chapters ago, Harry already referred to Cal as the most dangerous wizard he'd seen. And here's more evidence to that because Kamori doesn't seem to be lying here, that he's dealt with multiple death curses and seemingly shrugged them off. So his plan is to get the Dark Hollow and become the god to prevent Gravain or the Corpse Taker from doing it, which is an interesting reason for doing a bad thing. <laughs> That's an interesting philosophy. I mean, if somebody's got to become a god, it may as well be me, right? So Harry offers her a way out, basically, like, we'll get you protected by the White Council, you can get away from this psychopath. She says, you know, she's taken aback, which is interesting. She was taken off guard by him offering... I I don't know why, but that line popped to me. Like, she's been pretty in control, understanding what's going on, Mm -hmm. even when she's curious. But it surprised her that he had a counteroffer. It's almost like she underestimated him. Yeah. But she like kind of did because if the corpse taker had the book, you'd be dead. Yeah, which is this, again, the same thing Gravain said, the yeah. same thing corpse taker said. They all believe that each other are way more powerful and there's no way this little wizard would be able to deal with any of them. Yeah. But it's interesting. She obviously isn't going to go with him, but she brings up, which we've talked about over the last couple of weeks, a number of times, this idea of using dark magic for the good. You know, using necromancy to end death, basically, which would cause a bit of a population crisis. But we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. I was thinking that same thing. Thanos is going to be have to hustle for real, for real. But yeah, the idea of of you know, Gracie's part. What's she part? Way she, I, I don't know. And she references you know, if Da Vinci was still alive, mm-hmm. what he could he create? Beethoven taking a theology class by Martin Luther, who by all accounts, I don't think was such a great dude, mm-hmm. but I digress. She, she, she tells him that you will die, but, but what if, what if you don't have to, right? Which, which certainly is interesting, but his reply is what if Napoleon, you know, what if Napoleon was immortal? What if, what if he, he, he doesn't really, again, it's one of those where he thinks about it. Like he, contemplates the meaning but he's not actually thinking of agreeing right is, is my, was my read on it you know thinking about what wizards could do if they live forever what mortals could do you know how bridging that gap between mortals and wizards you know obviously what every orphan would think in this scenario what what if his parents were alive a big one absolutely but you know what if these monsters you know, Attila, Napoleon, well, you know, what if, what if the his, now with the history's monsters were also immortal? That's the biggest problem. That was my first thought when she said to go away with death. I said, that means that every horrible person also lives forever as well as every artist. And what's the balance there? Yeah. I mean, 
Mao doing five year plans yeah. <laughs> at the time. It, it just it. It's a good again. It's a good idea, and and you'd be able to prevent these things, obviously. But it's not realistic. Overpopulation for one, and death's a part of life. Yeah, is kind of his deal. Very much. Uh, they so. both. They both say their offers are open, but they know it's not going to happen. And you know, she says, "Understand that I do not wish you any particular harm, but I will not hesitate to strike you down should you place yourself in our path. I'm going to stop you." I'm going to stop you and Cowl and Gravane and Corpse Taker and your little drummers too. <laughs> None of you are going to promote yourselves to godhood. No one is. I think you will die. Maybe. But I'm going to stop you all before I go. Tell Cowl to get out of the way now and I won't hunt him down after all of this. He can walk. You too. Kumori leaves. He sits there aching and tired and more scared than he had sounded a minute before. He did definitely come off like more of a badass than he has been in his <laughs> head. He gets up, shoved his pain and fear aside, hobbles out to the Blue Beetle. I had work to do. Yes, he did. He gets into the Blue Beetle and has realized that traffic on the streets had grown steadily worse. And it, it became more ominous. Ominous. The tenor of the city had, had begun to change slowly. What had been an atmosphere of bemused enjoyment and of unanticipated holiday from the daily grind had turned into annoyance. As the sun tracked across the sky and the power still hadn't come back on, annoyance started turning into anger. By high noon, there were police visible on every street, in cars, on motorcycles, on bicycles, and on foot. He picked up some, a pumpkin from a vendor selling stuff out of the back of his truck. And they have a little conversation, and the, the vendor says, uh, I hear some crazy things, that terrorists blew up a power plant, or maybe set off some kind of nuke. They can disrupt electronics and stuff, you know. I think someone might have noticed a nuclear explosion. Oh, sure, but hell, maybe somebody did. Practically no phones, radio is damn near useless. How would we know? I don't know. The big boom? The vaporized city? The vendor started. True, true, but something happened. Yeah, I said, something happened. And the whole damned city is getting scared. Iris says Halloween. Maybe that's part of it. Maybe just because it's getting darker, clouding over. People get spooked sometimes, just like cattle. And if they don't get the lights on, tonight, tonight might be bad here. That's an understatement. And then uh, the, the guy says that a storm is coming. And newspaper weatherman said it was supposed to be clear. I lived around this old lake all my life. There's a storm coming. Boy, was there in spades. So he tries to call Murphy's house, and the, obviously the phones are down. Not a shock. And it's time to rendezvous with the wardens. So he headed for McAnally's. And there's people in there, a bunch of people in there. A quiet buzz of activity. We also learn that McAnally's is according neutral territory. That meant that the signatories of the Unseelie Accords, including the White Council and the Red Court, had agreed that this place would be treated with respect. No one was to s supposed to start any kind of conflict inside the tavern and would be bound by honor to take outside any fight that did come up as rapidly as possible. But this is all based on honor. There were, you know, he goes to describe a couple of people that are in there based on the accords that's actually yeah no 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 it's based on the accords but it's all based on honor he does mention though that it's all based on honor 
So he says to the bar in general, well, he says to Mac first, I need some space, Mac. Some people are meeting me here shortly. I'll need several tables. And the old wizards, they, they're like, peace out. We know what that means. And he says to the, the masses, I can't tell you what to do, but I would like to request that you all think about getting home before dark. Come nightfall, you'll want to be behind a threshold. What's happening? Blurted one of the youngest men in the room. Come on, I'm a wizard. We have union rules against telling anybody anything. Seriously, I can't say more than that. Or I can't say any more now. And I couldn't. Odds were better than, better than good that one or more spies lurked among the patrons of the tavern. And the less information they had about White Council plans and activities, the better. Take this seriously, guys. You don't want to be outside come nightfall. And Mac and his single words, bad? Pretty bad. Necromancers. Wardens? Yeah, a lot of them. Kemmler, he said. I arched an eyebrow, but wasn't really surprised that he knew the infamous necromancer's name. Not Kenmer. Not Kemmler. His leftovers. But that's bad enough. Ugh. And Mac checks, the, checks his guns, sets a couple of 1911s to be within reach. And in walks a warden of the White Council, who is a little worse for wear. His cloak was ripped in several spots and stained with what could have been mud, blood, and greenish motor oil. There were burn marks along the hem and several raw, ragged holes in it that might have been the results of corrosive burns. His staff looked similarly nicked and stained, and the man himself looked like a boxer after a top tenth round. He had bruises on one cheek, his nose had been broken in broken some time in the past several weeks. There was an ugly line of fresh scarlet scar tissue running from his hairline to one eyebrow, and I could see white bandages through a hole in his jacket over his left bicep. Wizard Dresden, he said quietly. Warden Morgan, I responded. McAnally, Morgan said to the tavern keeper. Donald. Mac replied, we now know Morgan's first and last name. We were just talking about names earlier, and that was one the first thing I thought of. I literally wrote up, Donald. Dresden, have you checked for veils? If I told you, if I had, if I told you I had, you'd check it yourself anyway, Morgan. So I didn't bother. Of course you didn't. Morgan's a piece of crap. He's such an asshole. It's clear. And in walks Warden Lucio, along with three younger wardens. One that he had recognized from a previous council meeting, but he'd been in a brown apprentice robe. And two brand spanking new folks. So we have Warden Ramirez, and then Kowalski and Yoshimo. I hope there's enough room. One of the other wardens arriving. She hands him a bundle of brown paper. (laughs) He takes it unwrapped it. It was a gray folded cloak. Put it on said Lucio in her quiet, steady voice. And then every available warden will be here. Oh, goodness gracious. (laughs) I stared at Lucio for a second. That's a joke, right? (laughs) Which is exactly what we're all thinking. Yeah. She has a back and forth that suggests she and Mac have some history. Lucio also has an exchange with Mac that suggests they have some history and background, just like we just saw with Morgan, which is interesting. I mean, if it's the wizard bar in kind of the crossroads of America, isn't super surprising, but it's of note for sure. 
we see a cool kind of ritual that they clearly do at every warden meeting where Ramirez is told to close the circle. And so he draws a chalk circle around the table and infuses it with power so that they're cut off from the rest of the magical world. Just fun little world building there. And the first thing they do is they do a toast to absent friends. And Harry repeats the question, basically, like, this is not a real thing. But they explain why they're pretty desperate for wardens at this point. Mm -hmm. The war with the Red Court of Vampires has escalated. they They go through the nuts and bolts of some offenses and counter offenses and re- tactical retreat was it a tactical withdrawal tactical withdrawals mm-hmm. of the white council through the never never and at this point the Mer- up to this up to this point the merlin has been very defensive very defensive wanting to put up wards and protective spells but not really wanting to push the war to the next level mm-hmm. kind of hoping it'll go away basically but ebenezer convinced enough members of the council to convince the merlin basically and he took the field and there was some brouhaha where the red king was imperiled but they weren't able to take him out and there was some treachery where injured wardens were taken which, as we know, being taken by vampires is worse than being killed by vampires. Mm-hmm. And we, we hear that 38 wardens were killed in a day. There were only about 200 wardens. So basically 20% of the wardens were deleted in, in one, one day. Enga- one engagement. Yeah, so it's the war is getting worse. They're definitely in some trouble. And we hear that outsiders have now been, become involved on the Red Court side. They are creatures from outside the Outer Gates. They are not of our universe. They had been the servants and foot soldiers of the Old Ones. Your Cthulhu's at all. But we learn that only mortal magic can call up outsiders. Someone is accessing power outside the gates, basically. Mm. And it's a mortal wizard. Which is a problem, obviously. Big time. There's a line here that Ramirez says that I like. After Harry hears that the Merlin put up a ward and completely shut down an army of vampires, demons, and outsiders. And Harry's with one ward? You don't get to be Merlin of the White Council by collecting bottle caps, hmm. Ramirez says. Well, because uh, he says it first, though. Yeah, exactly. And I love it. It's like... Oh, I wasn't sure what the order was, uh, but the, yeah, that, so that's a callback to when Harry says it a few minutes prior. But Harry said it in his brain. Yeah. Which is interesting. Yeah, very Harry interesting. The, Harry said the same exact line, but not out loud. And then Carlos says it out loud. Mm-hmm. So, so that explains why, you know, they, Harry's obviously a powerful combat wizard. He would fit right in with battle battling type magic of the wardens it's some of the other stuff that he doesn't really feel too sold on so he wants to have a private word with captain lucio and he explains kind of how 
oppressive Morgan has been. And he really has been abusive of his power over Harry for a decade and a half. And so that's why he's so frustrated with, you know, he has these, this, these misgivings about the wardens, assuming they're all like Morgan. And she basically, you know, she claims that it's not really what all of them are about, but also she gives him an order to join and he tries to push back, but she explains that like, he's got this cloud of uncertainty around him in the council and putting on the gray cloak, ironically, will wash away a lot of that confusion because it shows that the council higher ups have faith in him, which is an interesting thing that obviously he didn't really pick up on. He's just trying to be petulant. Um, yeah, they basically come back, you know, he, they start to negotiate the terms basically. And again, it, it comes down to basically protect Chicago. It's kind of going to be his job. So yeah, he'll just get paid for it. He'll wear a gray cloak over his black duster. So he ends up agreeing, puts on the cloak and Ramirez smiles. Morgan looks like someone shoved a knife into his testicles and <clears throat> he'll be the regional commander of Chicago and basically the Midwest. There's, there's three regional commanders, so presumably that's his area, the middle of the country. And they go back to the table. They do a cheers. And Lucio says, very well then, Commander. This is your territory, and you have the most recent intelligence on Kemmler's disciples. What's our next step? Uh, he shoves his hair back from his eyes, says, okay, Warden Lucio, uh, Captain Lucio, let's sit down and get to work. It's getting dark. And we don't have much time to done. All right. Good stuff. What'd you think overall? You know, we, there wasn't a ton of action, but there was a lot of progression, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Moving pieces. We've seen that before. These got the, right before the climax, you have these. I refer to it as moving the chess pieces around, mm-hmm. but gets everything set up. We definitely learned a little bit about a, a number of characters, and um, obviously Harry becoming a warden is a big uh, moment. And that's, I mean, that's a, a very much a um, a big change in how the landscape lies. Yeah, because the wardens have been not bad guys, but certainly this antagonistic force throughout represented by morgan but they've been bad guys basically yeah um to an extent they're they're the they're the um the assholes of the white council yeah but they're they're we've thought of them as bad guys and now harry is joining them (laughs) yeah right (laughs) it's just amusing um i i didn't i don't love the trope of someone solving a you know a problem in this case harry saying too bad you don't have a photographic memory and that then, is the, kind of funny but the thing is it, it was what, what what did you say what did you say like it's just like why why would you say it that like I, I get that that might happen you might have that exchange but like i don't know it just seems weird like lame and tropey to me but just one line but i'm gonna be annoying <laughs> yeah well you know it was introduced to us earlier and it was sort of Again, Butters is ob- Butters is observant and useful. I right? that was Butters being observant and useful. 
Well, he didn't know she had it, right? But he definitely, yeah, he picked up on But the character is. Oh, yeah. No, I didn't mind. Honestly, the thing that I minded was Harry saying, what did you just say? That was kind of stupid. It's it's just such a trope, and it's so such an unnecessary line. Especially when we're in a first person, he can just think like, oh, my God, Butters, you're a genius. And then say, oh, my God, Butters, you're a genius. Or something you know, like it'd be, Yeah. Like, A, that would be funny. Um, I was just funny, I think, for the first time. Third time. Um. But honestly, beyond that, not a ton happened. It's interesting how quickly he allows Butters to know about Bob. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think, does Murphy know about Bob? She must, but I think she does. I don't know if they've interacted. Obviously, it's super important not to leave him lying around. Yeah. When, when we know there's bad guys afoot who know about him. But... um. Seems a little blasé with this really powerful spirit of intellect. Yeah, he's just in a backpack. You got it. Yeah, yeah. but the, the uh, medical examiner can take care of him. Um, yeah, I mean, not 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 a whole lot. I, I do love that he still wants to go to the Oktoberfest polka off again. He's really overcome his fear in a lot of ways, which is cool to see. Butter's kind of progressing. Um, anything of note in that one? I mean, we did get a little bit of their relationship between Thomas and Harry, and just. He he's coming around and in, in giving Murphy more credit where he doesn't have to protect her. You know, those sorts of things. He he's thinking a little bit more. Yeah, like super mature of him to basically say, I'm gonna trade Murphy's safety and comfort and protection for the city. Like he's throwing Murphy under the bus here because he's involving the, the council like, against Mavra's explicit instructions. But she would want that. And she would be, if he didn't do that, it would be taking away her power and using, protecting her as basically a reason to kill a lot of people, Mm -hmm. have a lot of people die at least. So he's giving her agency, even though she's been kind of sidelined in this novel, which whatever, giving her the power of what she would do, right? She gets a vote, even though she's not here. And I, I really do appreciate that. And that's that's really cool of Harry and progressive. And But it's also, it's, it's very um, necessary in their relationship. The relationship between Harry and Murphy. Mm-hmm. It's a necessary progression for him. The good friend who doesn't tell him happy birthday. Hey, you know, a lot of my, <laughs> a lot of my friends don't, I don't know where some, some people's birthdays are. A lot of no, people don't know when mine is, but. Very fair. Touche. He says he can't take Mouse because he doesn't. He wouldn't be able to hold the leash. But he took Mouse out not a couple chapters ago to go see the Lananchi slash. But he didn't need. He didn't think he. He probably didn't need his staff. Yeah, I wouldn't go anywhere without my staff at this point. Well, no, but like but he didn't maybe. need it. He needed didn't need to wield it. How about? There you go. Maybe he could leave it on the floor or something i don't know but it just seems a little like that and the elevator thing just there's some inconsistency the elevator was oopsies some inconsistencies but nothing world-breaking or anything like that the elevator was definitely an oopsie yeah definitely because the very next chapter he talks about how the power's out yeah and that he can't take the elevator he can't buzz her up yeah exactly but again just an oopsie who not not nothing that matters of course we can like i said oopsie popsie you could just in your brain and say he made a mistake he's going up the steps and let, or a broken escalator or something um it's temporarily stairs sorry for the convenience <laughs> thank you 
next chapter, I really like when he's talking about the mankind's fear of the dark, mm-hmm. the age-old, primal, undeniable dread of darkness. It reminded me of the graveyard paragraphs from the books of yore. What do you mean? Just like that same kind of energy of like talking about these base fears and feelings and these ideas that are kind of baked into the human experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I just got the same energy out of them. and not really more of a, a feeling or the uh, theme of that. Maybe just, just I, I just really liked how he described it as not like we're scared, but we do things to eliminate darkness all the time, you know? And, yeah. But just, it's almost, it's almost an, an unconscious fear. Yeah. It's, it's, our baser nature. Just interesting. I mentioned the code wolf. I like that they use that term after the way he described the wolves in full moon. Mm-hmm. Right, we, we talked at length about the conversation with Billy. Do you have anything to add on that front? Not really. It's very much a, I feel like it's going to come up later. I feel it. it's very much something that we will revisit because for one reason or another, he doesn't feel like he can trust Harry because he's worried about Harry or somebody's going to use that against him. Yeah. And Harry even says, I'll deal with this later. So that is definitely a good catch. That probably will come up again for sure. Oh yeah. Um, but I, again, I've been saying it all novel that like the, all the descriptions, all the ac- interactions are just off a little bit. And I, I'm positive. It's intentional because it's been the whole novel, but this is just another example that like things aren't well in Harry No. no, what do you think of Sheila's apartment building? Um, I think it it made sense. She's a poor store store clerk. She's not going to live somewhere where she can't, you know, she can't afford. She wouldn't be in a penthouse. Oh, of course. But there's like they're doing construction on the floor. There's places without walls, and and the and the uh, tool tool chests are bolted to the floor. Mm-hmm. It's a nice part of Chicago. He did mention that it was a it's a coming up, but yeah. it's not quite up. Yet. Yeah. Yeah, they're actively working on it. I, I, you know, I, I didn't have any issue with it. No, I like that she has her wards, and I like that we're giving her a little bit of uh, power, I guess you could say. So I wanted to touch on that. So we mentioned a week or two ago that how Harry kind of rewards competency mm-hmm. with trust. You saw that with, with Murphy, with Billy. He's trusting Butters with Bob. But he's not, he doesn't come right out and trust Sheila because, and you know I, don't, why? I don't think, I don't actually think it's because she's a woman. It's because she's a girl. hundred percent. It's because she's a girl. I mean, I, I'm just, I mean, I'm usually the one to jump all over those moments, but I think it's just because she hasn't really shown the competence to protect herself. But she also is a girl. Oh yeah. And no, that definitely matter. It, it factors into the equation I mean, for sure. She's a girl. Let's not get anything wrong there she's a girl and i mean that could be part of it it could be that you know we don't know enough about her yet but she's a girl i know i I agree that it it factored in but i i thought it was at least in part he's seen butters deal with stuff not great but he's dealt with it and Mm -hmm. and progressed and he hasn't really seen her deal with any of that so i i just thought there's definitely some level of that some truth to what we've been discussing about the competence. He wants to see that people can take care of themselves. No, definitely, definitely. But she's a girl. But yeah, no, certainly. <laughs> um, That's why he wants to protect her, because she's a girl. The 
Kiss, fine. Harry needs one, needed one of those for sure. But I also kind of like where it wasn't just gratuitous. He talks about touch and how he hasn't had touch for an extended period of time and how it affects him and how touch affects everyone. So there was a little bit more intent in that than it could have. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. For sure. Could have done without the staff. I don't, whatever. Yeah. It was, it, was, it was a juvenile joke. We all need a penis joke now. One, once in every a while. Now, every once in a while. Uh, this poor guy in his leg. Do you have any thoughts on the Kumori? Yes. I, I mean, Kumori is someone from the council. Could she be ancient Mai? The voice he gives her is similar to the voice he gave ancient Mai. I, this is just, that was just, I mean, obviously this is just. Certainly Kumori, but. Speculation. Lamar said she was white. He saw a part of her face. The EMT. Oh, did he? Okay. Okay. Because I thought he didn't see her face the whole time. So, uh, but that was just my speculation. And Cowl is the other thing I was speculating on. Um, this, those could, I suppose, just be a crackpot theory. But, um. Actually, no, I'm going to save that for a crackpot theory. Okay. Because why not? All right. Yeah, I mean, we, we talked at length about it, but it is... Continue. I love the idea of using darkness for good. Again, because most people think they're doing good when they're doing stuff, right? Like, m- very few people are actually just out to actually be evil, evil villain, evil. They always have a reason for it. And that's not to say people don't go too far. <laughs> no. Well, but, and their, but their reason could be just power and self, which is basically what um, Gravain and Corpse Taker, it's power and self, you know? Yeah. It's not, there's no greater good in that one. Where the difference between that and, say, Sheila is that her concern for giving Harry this information is straight up, and she feels responsible for giving him that information because she's got that greater good. She wants things to be better. She wants to protect. She takes responsibility. And that's one of the things is that we have a big issue here is not taking responsibility. For sure. I mean, you see that with the juxtaposition. Again, she is a minor power. Yeah, but, but she's still so concerned. Compared to what Gravain and Corpse Taker are doing. Yeah. And Harry even points out that she's, that it's unusual for someone with a, with a lesser power to have such concern for that. Yeah, for sure. Which we like. We like people that have accountability. Who give a fuck about the world. What else we got? Harry becoming a warden is just... Hilarious. It's just fun. And I love how much it pisses off Morgan. It's always fun to piss off It Morgan. really is. It's a victory in and of itself. It truly is. Agreed. I love the closing the circle kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Um, the other thing that I, I mean, it's more chapter 31-ish stuff, but honorifics. He talks about it when, he's, when he called uh, and spoke to the wardens, but where he says, you know, calling her by her title is, you know, a sign of respect, but also, you know, he wants to get in her good graces. But I was thinking he calls everybody warden, which is an, their honorific. And then he, when he becomes a warden, he calls her warden first, but then he says, Captain. Where he, it's, she's again been elevated. I just kind of like that. 
Does he call her? He doesn't call her captain on the phone. No, right? no, no. Because she just when she is not member, his captain. Yeah, but once he's a oh, member yeah. of the of the wardens, he gives her her correct title. Yeah, I do like that. Also, he gives her the respect of calling her Warden Lucio. Yes, and he I don't think he's ever called Morgan Warden Morgan. Which I like. He just calls him Warden. I mean Morgan. He goes oh, Morgan. Yeah. I wanted to touch on something in the chapter in his office. Mm-hmm. He says. I had a brief pang of longing for the gun I'd lost in the alley behind Box Place. Mm-hmm. A couple paragraphs later, Billy shows up with his gun. Yeah. And then at Max, he says in his head, you don't get to be the Merlin of the White Council by collecting bottle caps. And Arthur Langtree, the current, Mar- current Merlin, was generally considered to be the most powerful. Is interesting. And then Ramirez out of nowhere says you don't get to be the Merlin of the white council by collecting bottle caps. Interesting. Yeah. Is the white council, uh, the red court reading his mind. Is he the the mole? That sounds tinfoily, but I dig it. <laughs> I love it. But I mean, like it seems like his mind is readable right now, but yeah. Well, I mean, it's almost like he's conjuring things up. Yeah. I mean, or making things happen. But that also says something big about his power. Yeah, it's only two things, and you know they they just happen a couple chapters apart, which is why I kind of noticed them both. I haven't noticed anything else, but Ooh. let's certainly keep an eye on that as we go forward. That's bad. I do like kind of the. Uh, I kind of breeze through it because it's just like describing the engagements uh-huh. of the like the battles. But I do like those all that description. It's cool to see how they fight right mm-hmm. with you know they're blocking the ways they have sorcerers putting wards up to stop them they're just the the way this war would be fought is so different than the ways we think about battles oh very much so that it's really interesting to read through it i just felt like it would be way boring for me to read it. yeah <laughs> so that's why i didn't I don't, um but all of the tactics are very medieval they're old school warfare Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they're all close at hand as well. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of all, those are all the notes I really have, I think. But definitely, if you haven't ever heard the song Fear of the Dark live by Iron Maiden, it is an experience. <laughs> Put that on your list of things to do today. <laughs> yeah, you got anything else here? I don't think so. All right. But I feel like I need a Mac origin story. Mm-hmm. I need to know where McAnally came from and where he got his, you know, one word stoicness. And I just, I just do. I like him. Yeah, no, he's a great, great uh, character. We don't know anything about him, but mm-hmm. he's the bartender, right? I mean, that's kind of, you know, they know everybody. They're friendly. Mm-hmm. They do their thing. He's at work. Um he doesn't really want to hang out and solve mysteries. He's working. But here. I feel like he has like a Pomeranian or something at home. <laughs> you know, a little, yip, that, a little yippy dog. That has little outfits that she gets pretty bows put in her hair when she goes to the groomer. Like, this is mm-hmm. just, this is my, um, my, uh, my, my just total random thought process on McAnally. But I want a backstory. You know, a- absolutely. Yikes. So how about on the yikes front? 
catch anything that not uh, necessarily a yikes, but a juvenile couldn't stop looking at her boobs. I love that she fucked with him though. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, nothing too yikesy. I don't think so, at least. Yeah, well, I mean, you you mentioned the that you thought he was treating her differently because she was a girl. Yeah, which there definitely was something to that. You know, we've seen him do that in the past. And is it sad that that no longer qualifies as yikes in my head? It's just, uh, it's just Harry being Harry. <laughs> oh, it is sad. Mm-hmm. We hold everyone to a high standard, especially ourselves. We don't always make, we don't always hit it. We do our darndest. Definitely the titty stuff. But um, beyond that, anything yikesy? I didn't really. No, catch. I didn't really see anything yikesy. I, I kind of anti yikes. I, I mentioned already, but I like how he gives Murphy agency and power even though she's not there again shows a good maturity and respect for his friend which is great you love to see it Mm -hmm. beyond that you want to get uh into some quotes of the week yes reba bred most of mine but you know that's all right that's okay they're so good we can do it twice and this one isn't necessarily funny but i thought it was a good one fear is a funny thing In the right light, even tiny and insignificant fears can suddenly grow, swelling up to monstrous proportions. With the black magic rolling around the way it was, that instinctive fear of the dark would feed upon itself, doubling and redoubling. And with no explanation to tell them why the lights hadn't come on, people would start to forget their carefully rational reasons not to be afraid in favor of panic. And then, uh, (laughs) I, I mentioned both of these, but they're still entertaining to me. Not as dangerous as doing nothing. And go with stupid. In my experience, you can't go wrong assuming stupid. <laughs> kind of my Fair mantra. Enough. My mantra. I too have a, a, a serious one today as well. Um, your ignorance is more dangerous than you know. And your continued involvement in this matter could cause disastrous consequences. I just really like the idea of your ignorance is more dangerous than you know, because obviously it is, but it's a truism. But just that idea that not knowing gets you into more trouble than knowing and doing the wrong thing. I just really like the shape of that one. When he's talking to Billy about how he's carrying the gun just tucked into his sweatpants. Shouldn't carry it in your pants like that. Good way to sing soprano. (laughs) And, uh, Another Kumori. I really like that interaction with Kumori. It's just weird. Um, he did mention that she's white counsel. He thought she was white counsel there. Mm-hmm. Which is intriguing. We've, we've already speculated that, but it certainly, I don't know if it changes anything, but it's just weird how there's the count. The council is not a one coherent thing. No. Um, Certainly. It's um, a large, it's a large group. Which as every large group of people is right. Not a monolith, but it's intriguing. Mm-hmm. Which that's why she, he said she was hiding her face, which presumably that we, would mean Cowl as well. Mm-hmm. Because remember, he never saw Cowl's face. Yeah. But the, you will die. She said, I will die. Cowl will die. Everyone now walking this tired old world knows but one solid, immutable fact. Their life will end. Yours, mine, everyone's. Yeah, that's why they call us mortals. (laughs) Because of the mortality. (laughs) 
She's like, she's like got this serious, like big speech and he's just snarks her off. I like that. One, but the other, like in my, you know, pondering, it's like they're mortal. We know that they're mortal. They're not a supernatural being. They're mortal. So they, and, and the, there's so many, I mean, between the war going on and there's someone who's tattling, who's speaking outside both sides of their mouth. And then we have these two who seem to know more than they should. I just feel like, and they obviously have a knowledge of the council because of what Cal said about it's rotting from the inside out. And that, that's just my thought that he's the rot. He's what? He's the rot. Oh, Cowl is? Yeah. He's creating the rot. He's kind of like when Darth uh, Count Dooku says that that there's Sith there's Sith lords in you know taking over the the Republic basically mm-hmm. he's he's the guy doing it yeah okay I dig I it's dig kind of my bad guy's gonna bad guy bad guy's gonna bad guy <laughs> you want to do a uh, crackpot theory of the week. Yes, I've kind of already crackpotted a lot of my crackpot theories. How much crack could a crackpot crack, crack if a crackpot could crack pots? I mean, we've got Kamaria's ancient Mai or someone like that. I was also thinking maybe Cal's the gatekeeper and that's why he never votes because he wants to uh, cause trouble. Um, I don't okay. think so. That one I don't feel as strongly about. But I think- The gatekeeper, I think, is really tall. Okay, but Cal has to be, he's very, very powerful. And the senior council is very, very powerful. They're the most powerful wizards, and Cal is one of the most powerful wizards. That's kind of where, you know, because then Lucio says... Not one, not one of the most, the most, right? That's what Harry said. He was the most powerful, or the scariest yeah. wizard or something. Whatever and the Merlin is. is the most powerful wizard. I don't, I don't know if he's the Merlin. He could be the Merlin, but I just feel like that's a bit much. It sounds like he'd be really busy. But I just feel like there's... Cal is someone he knows, and Kamari is someone he knows. They're both people he knows. Could it be that Kumari is like Elaine or some shit like that? I think she he recognizes what her voice because we know she's still around, the bitch. And then my other crackpot theory is that um, Mac has a Pomeranian that he puts bows in her hair. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to be able to get that out of your head now. Oh, Just I love a little, it. cute little Pomeranian that wiggles, that shakes when it wiggles, and um, has little outfits. And until until Butcher proves me wrong, that. Is canon. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I'm just going to assume it's true. Right? I love it. I love it. All right. Oh. <laughs> well, that's just Balls about- in your court, Butcher. <laughs> this going to be a microfiction. That's just him playing Just with about McAnally. <laughs> McAnally playing with his dog. Uh, <laughs> all right. This week- or sorry, next week. That means we'll get chapters 32 through 37. Getting us right down to the wire. That'll be our penultimate episode for Deadbeat. Things are getting spicy here. I love it. All the pieces are moving around. We're ready for this climactic explosion. Warden Dresden. Who would have thunk it, huh? Mm-hmm. Short of that, um, continue to hit us up on all the things we are delighted whenever you do. We are the podcast was on fire at gmail.com. The podcast was on fire at gmail.com. We got a TikTok that I sometimes put a video saying, hey, our, our pod's out. 
We got a Patreon now. We have a num- uh, like, few, just a few, but they're the best few in the history of fews. <laughs> Subscribers on the Patreon. Right now, that gets you. We get you the pod a day early. We'll get you a dick mark, and I'm starting to trickle out my Danny DeVito as every character AI inspired nice. pictures. Well, and follow the Facebook page. I mean, there were necromancer memes that just came across my feed all over the place. And if you like stupid memes, <laughs> come on over to our Facebook page. I don't think most of our listenership is 85 years old, but if they are, hey, Facebook it up. Hey, excuse me, sir. We're also on X, formerly known as Twitter. <laughs> I love that. That's oh, that's where it's written everywhere. X, formerly known as Twitter. <laughs> How can someone so smart be so dumb? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just what I wonder. Either way. Yeah, that'll get us out of here. Thank you guys so much, Patreon subscribers. You are the absolute ridiculous, stupefyingly bestest. Our newest Patreon to hop in there is Phoebe, who I think I've been calling Crystal all this time because I'm an idiot and I just read email addresses and make assumptions like a bozo. Um, but either way, that's our newest members. You're spectacular and wonderful, and I appreciate you. I actually, a long time, one of the OG ACAST bestest human beings alive. We appreciate you so much, but everyone, again, if you can kick us a couple bucks a month, you're awesome. If not, you're still awesome. I'm not a good salesman, but I appreciate you guys. <laughs> Thank you so much for putting up with us and the downloads and the sharing it with your buds. We appreciate it all. Yeah, anything? What he said. <laughs> we really do appreciate it. We love all of the followers and the likes and the downloads. We appreciate you guys. It's just been a whole lot of fun. Absolutely. This is for you, not the. There's a meme that was like Sun Tzu is like looked at as this like great military mastermind. Mm-hmm. But if you look at most of his stuff, it's like if you're doing the wrong thing, stop. Supply lines are important. Like <laughs> common sense isn't so common though. But yeah, no, it's stuff that like nowadays it's it's, it's a Seinfeld effect really. But it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of funny that.